Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and thank you for listening in. Uh, today, I want to talk some more about computer tech proofs. I mean, goodness, that's all I've been talking about in the past episodes. So we talked about the basic idea of um, computer checking your proof written in some syntax, similar to having a program in a programming language. We have a proof in some proof language that a proof checker is going to check for us. And we talked a bit about um, some of the interest of, in this for formalization of mathematics and some of the interest of this for um, computer science. Uh, and there's lots of applications in computer science. Um, but we talked a little bit about just kind of the idea that you could ensure properties of software using computer check proofs. And so um, a couple of things I wanted to talk about today related to these topics. Um, and if you can't, haven't really been able to tell yet, this is sort of like one, it's kind of like a long story. I'm sort of thinking of it, this podcast so far is a bit like one of those television shows where it's sort of episode after episode just kind of builds and we, we sort of wander along. So of course you could jump in at any point, but we are sort of taking a path here through um, some conceptual space. And what I wanted to talk about today, um, I want to talk about two things. One was sort of, um, you know, it, it's uh, a little bit about history, recent history, and I'll talk a little bit more in, sometime in the future about some of the earlier history of computer check proofs. Um, and uh, and by the way, just as sort of thinking about this path and roadmap, this is called the Iowa Type Theory Commute, and so far we didn't even talk about what is type theory, uh, and that will come in a bit, but type theory is useful as a formalization that's useful for, um, it's a theory, that's useful for computer check proofs and, and a bunch of other interesting things too. So that's that's coming. Um, but today I want to talk a little bit about some of the recent history and um, and also about why, about sort of why computer check proofs, what's the sort of state of adoption of computer check proofs in say mathematics and computer science. So. Um, some of the a little recent history that I think is interesting to note is that um, despite some um, early roots in the United States, some very important early work in the United States in the early part of the 20th century, um, these the idea and the tooling, the tools for computer check proofs were really not very well known in American computer science um, until just a couple decades ago, and. Um, uh, and I want to mention a couple of events that I think were important in helping get these tools recognized in American computer science. But they've been developing uh, nicely for decades um, in various European research groups, uh, producing quite a few interesting um, proof assistants, like the Koch proof assistant, which is, seems to be one of the ones that's a, most used right now in the United States computer science, is uh, from France. And it's produced at, uh, it's created at INRIA, which is a French research institution. And uh, anyhow, um, so there are pockets of awareness and work on these sorts of things. An important pocket of, of such work is was New Pearl, the New Pearl project at Cornell, which is still going on. Uh, it's been, wow, since the early 80s, if not the late 70s. Uh, and that was that's a project creating a proof assistant based on actually type theory as it happens, uh, and 
Um, but besides, and there's also an important um, line of work on fully automated fear improvement uh, at um, Austin, the, the Boyer Moore Fear Improver, named after, I think it's Bob Boyer and Jay Struther Moore, um, and its current, you know, contemporary uh, descendant is called ACL2, which stands for, uh, oh gosh, a computational logic for applicative common list or something like this. Uh, anyway, um, those were two important projects that generated lots of interesting research and, and had some pretty significant impact. But those were kind of two, you know, impressive drops in an otherwise um, empty bucket uh, American computer science. But at the end of, um, oh, and I, okay, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to offend various American researchers by this uh, butchered history. Um, because I'm just about to say that um, one thing that helped, I think, raise the awareness more generally in American computer science about these kind of ideas and techniques was the Proof Carrying Code Project from Carnegie Mellon University, which also had a pocket of important pocket of work on um, proof assistance and automated fear improvements, both actually. Uh, and so um, George Nekula, who's a professor now at Berkeley, he had a, a project there based on the idea of shipping proofs with mobile code. And the idea was that you can run mobile code, like maybe native mobile code, directly in a browser without having to worry that the mobile code is going to be malicious, at least not malicious on certain, you know, certain properties, because it was going to come with a proof that you could check that would guarantee that it wasn't going to do cer at least certain bad things. I think they were really... Um, ensuring memory safety or something like that, which is a very important and difficult property to ensure. Um, but they didn't ensure, you know, privacy properties or something like that, at least not the work I, I knew from that time. And anyway, this made a bit of a splash. I remember hearing um, George Nekula's job talk when I was a graduate student at Stanford, and you know, he ended up at Berkeley. So this was work that um, really seemed to make a pretty good impression, uh, at least as far as, you know, recruiting and hiring went. Um, and seemed to have uh, made an impact. And uh, another important work related to this was Andrew Appel, who's a professor of computer science at Princeton, um, picked uh, also you know either picked this up or had similar ideas uh, again to create a um, a system for proof carrying code. And he Appel called his foundational proof carrying code because um, uh, he was going to start from a very small axiomatization of instruction set architecture, some low-level um, uh, specification of a computer, and then he was going to derive all these properties on top of this and uh, about software. So um, anyway, those were two projects from the late 90s and into the early 2000s that I think really raised awareness of these methods. And another, um, another initiative that raised interest in, these, in computer check proofs and proof assistance and all this kind of technology was um, uh, some researchers, uh, professors at, at University of Pennsylvania, some I may call friends of mine, um, Stephanie Warwick, uh, Steve Stanswick, and Benjamin Pierce, had um, for a long time in the, the research field of programming languages, uh, it had been sort of the practice, programming languages researchers had become more and more aware, um, and I, I have to say, even though I'm working in this field, I don't really, it'd be interesting to know a little more about the history of sort of how this awareness arose became more and more aware that um, when they're proving theorems about programming languages, and this was a very common thing to do because, and still is, because um, people are designing 
for example, type systems for programming languages are designed to ensure that certain kinds of bugs or bad things can't happen. And, uh, you know, so some people, you know, think hard about how to rule out certain kind of bug or whatever it is. They design some type system that is supposed to do this. Well, you know, it's, it's not going to be very good if your type system itself has a flaw and so that it doesn't correctly rule out the bug that you thought it did. So programming languages researchers um, have, you know, over time ha have became and, and still to this day are um, very careful and concerned about proving in really great detail um, the properties of their programming language designs that they, they've come up with. And so um, these, re these researchers from Penn proposed to the programming languages community, they basically said, hey guys, um, we've all been working hard to prove, do these detailed proofs of our language designs, but just on paper. We're just sitting here writing very long, I mean, 25 or 30 page appendices to research papers are, are absolutely not uncommon, quite the norm, in fact. Um, describing all the cases, right? There's just a lot of cases to cover. Programming language is a kind of a big artifact. And so just to kind of grind through case after case after case of your language to make sure everything is okay. Um, you know, they said, we're doing all this hard work on paper. And, you know, the joke was that these are, are, um, are write-only proofs because nobody's really going to read them. They just kind of, or maybe some poor soul, you know, some poor reviewer, uh, you know, maybe a junior faculty member or a postdoc who's out to kind of prove that they can, they can tackle this stuff, will read it, and hoping they find a bug so they can get a zinger in there, you know. Um, and, and so they said, well, we're, we're grinding through all this stuff, and, you know, but generally, you know, it's not that the proofs have interesting insights usually or anything like that. It's more just a humongous confirmation of something that you believe is true and that you discover is almost true but has some wrinkles or flaws or little things you didn't get quite right when you tried to say, uh, state your theorem. And so, um, so they said, instead of doing this on paper, why don't we take a look at this technology, um, mostly developed in Europe, um, for proving properties of things, and let's see if we can apply it to programming languages. And they, they proposed this thing they called the Poppelmark Challenge, um, which was the, uh, a challenge to say, look, here's a particular theorem about a programming language, or a few, a handful of them, and everybody, you know, on your mark, get set, go, get your favorite proof assistant, or learn a proof assistant, if you don't have one, a favorite one already, and try to prove those properties of your, uh, of this programming language design in that proof assistant, and then let's sort of compare, and uh, that was actually when I learned the Koch proof assistant, was I, I did a solution to one part of the, the Poppelmark challenge. Um, and, and a bunch of other people did too. I think there were at least a dozen sort of solutions proposed right around that time. Um, and, uh, you know, it was very revealing and a lot of discussion about, you know, one of the most annoying things was formalizing the notion of a variable, like a variable in your programming language, a found variable. Um, this actually is just a notorious pain and there's lots of irritating technicalities that have to be dealt with. And so there's a lot of discussion about what's the best way to deal with those in the various proof assistance we have available today, what should we do? Um, and anyway, so uh, so those were kind of two historical things. And after that, I mean, I think the pen researchers should get some kind of award or something because um, programming languages research in the United States, there's now many people who, uh, professors and, and other researchers who routinely use tools like Calk. Um, and actually, that, as I said, that seems to be the most popular one in the United States right now. 
to formalize and prove properties of, of um, their algorithms and signs, particularly in programming languages. Um, and so that sort of really sparked, you know, now lots of departments are quite aware of this. Computer science departments across the country have professors who, who use these kind of methods. Um, and I think there's a, an awareness that wasn't there before um, this kind of initiative. Um, anyway, oh, so actually I'm sitting here in the parking lot again, as sometimes happens to me. And I didn't get to what I, the next thing I wanted to tell you, but maybe I'll, maybe I'll chat on the way back from work as well. Um, thank you very much for listening. And one little note for my um, avid listener or listeners, I'm actually planning to open up a subreddit so we can have some discussion. People might want to ask questions or um, propose things uh, about the topics. And I haven't done that yet, but when I do, I'll put some link on, um, on the webpage. I've also been dinking around with some of the various podcast hosting technology um, I do write show notes for my shows. They're sort of short, but they're meant to kind of give a little more information than just the summary. But these um, show notes aren't showing up in the player that I have on my webpage right now. If you use your own player, which I, I recommend, you can get it right on your phone or something, uh, you just need the RSS feed, which I've put on the, um, the webpage now, that I, I, the sort of crude webpage that I set up for this. Uh, then you'll see the show notes. The RSS, they, they're in the RSS uh, feed. So it's just for some reason the player from Buzzsprout, which they've been very nice and all, um, it's been a good experience with them. That player doesn't, um, doesn't show the show notes. All right. Thanks again for listening.